Welcome to the 23rd episode of the Nerdum and Other Nonsense Anime Podcast. Today we are going over the summer 2017 season's fifth week of shows. My name is Leo and I'm going to start using the letters U and R to spell out your and you are because I can't be trusted to conjugate verbs correctly. Also with me is <laughs> be calm. <laughs> I'm so happy. Oh, I'm so happy I got you to say that. Ah, jeez. I've already refused not to do this. One of the best things about this podcast is that we can make each other say whatever we want in the intro from week to week. You don't understand, <laughs> so about an hour ago when I logged into this uh, Google Doc, I almost went through this entire thing and changed all the yours and you are's around just to, just because to, I could. Just to, like make my brain explode. Yeah. <laughs> Why are all these red underlines? <laughs> uh, oh, man. All right. All right. Well, we'll start with Sundays. This is your log BCOM, so take it. All right. Starting on Sundays, it is Centaur No Naomi, A Centaur's Life, Episode 5, uh, which is titled Antarcticans Are Like Walking Rumors, or But in the End, the Antarcticans' History and Roots Are a Mystery, too. So basically, this starts with Quetzalcoatl, who we met at the end of last episode, who is the Antarctican snake girl princess. <laughs> uh, she sits next to Hime in class, and for some re- weird reason, she like turns to the right and opens her mouth really wide. We find out later, but it, this like startles the shit out of Hime, and just like she falls out of her seat and faints. Yeah, she's um, looking into a gaping snake's <laughs> mouth. It's like got the teeth. It's even got like the little the tongue and the little spots where like if she could spit poison would come out. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> it's it is scary looking. Yeah, it's pretty horrifying. Um, her friends tell her that fainting at the sight of a snake girl could be viewed as discrimination. Uh, but Hime says the reason she's scared is because she watched a movie called The Fear of Antarctica. The color the color remake, not the original, when she was little. And this is totally a reference to the John Carpenter movie The Thing, which also had a remake and is set in Antarctica. Uh, in the movie, in her universe, a centaur woman is like taking a shower and is attacked by like an Antarctic snake monster. Uh, and and it, that like, part felt like Psycho to me. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of like Psycho also. But like the centaur in the movie just gets like swallowed whole, and then the snake wears her skin around to like disguise itself. And then we even see like a movie poster, and they have like an anime version of Kurt Russell kind of on the left side. I was like, yes, that's so cool. <laughs> Um, so Quetzalcoatl apologizes to Hime, saying that all she was doing was trying to smile, but clearly didn't do a very good job, which I thought was like the understatement of the century, because <laughs> it just looked like she was trying to eat Hime. Uh, so Hime's friends are like, you need to get over this. So they decide they should rewatch the movie in order to get her over that childhood fear. And Quetzalcoatl comes and joins them. Um... Also, when Hime fainted, it was weird. Like, I guess the government guy who stands outside the classroom. I was like, getting ready to say you her. that part. <laughs> yeah, she carried her to the nurse's office with the help of two of the guys in the class. Um, but it was, it was a weird thing. Like, he, they went into, like, this class where they're going to watch the movie. And the government guy was like, sorry, I, I'm not allowed to enter classrooms. And I was like, this is a weird setup. So I guess, like, the government guys just, like, walk around the hallways, but they can't actually go into the classroom because of, like, some law probably prohibiting it. I yeah, unless there's, like, an emergency, I, I would guess, which she yeah. passed out in the classroom. Yes. So unless the other two guys got her into the hallway. But it was funny because when I was watching it, as soon as she was in the nurse's office, I'm like, she's a horse. 
she <laughs> is super heavy. Now, and I'm not saying like the hurt a girly pride, but you know, come on. I'm like, how'd she get there? And then the <laughs> show like answered it for me. And I was like, oh, <laughs> thank you for that loophole. I was just going to burn this show with, but. And it's yeah. really funny because there's a little scene where like the two guys that helped are in the classroom and they're like standing at the windows, just like looking out all like solemnly or something like that. And <laughs> they're just like at peace with themselves. And one of them comments are like, yeah, we had to help her carry her. She was <laughs> soft, wasn't she? <laughs> she was so soft. <laughs> and yeah, like, like people in the classroom laughing. are looking at I'm like, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's pretty true. So, yeah, Hime and Quetzalcoatl, they both watch the movie together and they have like the same cute but like scared reactions to like every scene and they end up like hugging each other in terror. Um, and uh, Quetzal is what I'm going to nickname her for now, though I think in, later in the show they start calling her Su-chan because her last name is Sasasul. So Su explains to Hime that she's nothing like the monster in the movie. Her jaw isn't strong. Even if she bit someone, it would only like feel like a bite from a kitten. Uh, and she uh, <laughs> my first thought was have you ever actually been bitten by like a feral kitten <laughs> a feral kitten no but like a yeah a cat's kitten yeah a hundred times <laughs> uh, they, uh, they can really bite hard it hurts it's yeah. they're needles it's just somebody jabbing your arm with needles that <laughs> would hurt immensely so yeah whatever <laughs> I'm get rid of that excuse right away she also she can't kill anybody by like wrapping around them and constricting them like a snake she's just not built to do that and she also can't like um i think she doesn't have like a rib cage that she can like expand so she can't bite and swallow things whole like a snake could either so she's very different from a snake but uh there are other are other ways that she's similar because like in the second half of the episode a bunch of students ask like Ketzel like about like a bunch of questions about herself and like one of the things she explains is that she's warm-blooded and not cold-blooded like a reptile and so she's less like a snake in terms of genetics than like a bird apparently uh yeah she <laughs> like likens herself more to a bird than anything else yeah and then, like another girl asks if the Antarcticans truly rule the world from the shadows because there's like a lot of popular occult books that like claim this and she denies it and also denies ever ruling the Aztecs or whatever though the Antarcticans apparently did share some like science and information with them so they were like involved with the society but they didn't rule over them they had especially they had like rules against like influencing their government or something like that I don't know um and then she says that she came to school in Japan because like the environment was similar to what she was used to at home community wise but she also just wanted to go to a place where there were like people of average intelligence and then, like the student council president Tama or whatever is like oh so we're just average I guess that's why you wanted to come here mm -hmm. um, and then one girl asks quote so pedantic questions aside do you have a boyfriend <laughs> <laughs> which is a very pedantic question let's get and, down uh, to the brass tacks here man <laughs> yeah she doesn't and she explains that like only the queen of their like tribe or whatever lays eggs and like most of the warriors are females as well so she doesn't think she should have any romantic feelings but she does like apparently have feelings of favor towards certain people that might not exactly be the equivalent of romantic human feelings or human monster girl feelings i guess i don't know anyway 
at, they, they leave school at home that night. Uh, she's flipping through TV channels when she comes across a news report of America blaming an Antarctic UFO for sinking one of their research ships. And then she like faints from the news because she thinks it's going to be really bad for oh, her. This is really weird because they keep referring to the Americans as humans. Yeah, that's true. Well, I think everybody is referred to as humans, but different. Like, all, they're all humans, but they're different, like, a- different animal classes. folk. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, the next day, the girls are walking around what looks like the this world's version of, like, Shibuya Tokyo. Instead of, like, the Hachiko the dog statue that's really famous there, there's, like, a frog. So, it's, like, Hachiko the frog <laughs> instead of a dog. Um, and Su-chan, as the girls have nicknamed her, is wearing, like, a little pink bandana, like, just barely covering part of her head, which she says is to hide her appearance because of the bad news, and she thinks people will, like hate her so nozomi like goes up to her and tells her like lower your head for a second and she like just smacks her really hard in the head saying like there's she's not hiding anything at all with that stupid disguise and like when when she smacks her everybody in shibuya crossing is like on guard and they all of a sudden pop out with like m16s and shotguns and assault (laughs) rifles and they're just like ready just in case like this snake monster goes berserk it was like an old dude too that was what (laughs) killed me (laughs) it's like an old guy just like pulls it out and then when they when they see that she's not like having a violent reaction they all like quietly slink back into the background it's so good uh it just like tells you what this society is kind of like uh so Hime notices that like Sue is wearing clothes that are more like monk garments um so they ask like are you required to wear that kind of clothing and she's like no that's just like what I usually wear and they're like well then let's go clothes shopping so <laughs> Sue tries on a sh- like a suit and a sales rep says, like, the store will alter the opening in the seat of her pants to fit perfectly. And then, but, like, there's this tailor who's next to her. She's like, I've never altered anything for a snake girl before. But, the, like, the sales rep is like, don't let anyone hear you. If they hear you, you'll get sent to a correctional facility for discrimination. And I was like, God damn, this society is fucked up. <laughs> but yeah. um, that's basically the episode. It's just, like, them getting to know uh, Sasasul. And mm-hmm. uh, her weird in, like idiosyncrasies and stuff, but uh, yeah, you learn just keep learning like a little bit more about how messed up this alternate Japan is with like people with shotguns and machine guns everywhere in like main squares, and just all the weird stuff with like the government guy in the school. I don't know; it's so strange. Uh, I, any other thoughts? Uh, no, I, I enjoy the show. It's really fun to watch, but it is really fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. it's really cute. But All right. we can go on to uh, Princess Principal, also still on Sundays. Episode 5, Bullet and Blade's Ballad. Bit. So we start off with like Lord Horikawa arriving from Japan to the kingdom of Albion. Uh, he's being greeted by the princess and Ain- Princess Ainge, Beatrice, and Dorothy. And the other three are disguised as maids. So that's kind of i guess made fetish there (laughs) yeah basically and they all end up boarding a train that's going to take them to uh, london the lord is apparently there to renegotiate a treaty since it's not really in their favor at all you know and get better whatever whatever you need uh but then also the train starts to pass under a bridge and we see chise we already know from earlier episodes who she is drops down on top of it this is the chise introduction episode is basically what i'm getting at (laughs) 
Yeah, I thought like last episode was all we were going to get, but they did like a full intro. Yeah. Is there anybody else we haven't done uh, intro for? I mean, uh, their own Back, background episode? episode yet? Did, um, I hope Beatrice doesn't get one. Jesus Christ. She kind of did already. We got, we found out like about her father. So that was basically her intro. We got hers. And kind of well, the engine princesses are kind of blended together a little bit, I think. But we yeah. saw, but what we're seeing is how everybody's been put into this little group they're in. So if we yeah. go by that, we've seen the princess, we've seen Beatrice, why she joined. Did we see Dorothy? I'm trying to remember if we've seen Dorothy. She might be the only one that we would find out more about still. But, uh, we don't know why Ainge, uh, how Ainge got put into this group either. Well, yeah, we sort of saw some stuff, though. I don't know. But yeah, I think Ange and you're like you said, like the princess and Ange are like completely linked together. So we'll probably find out more about them over the course of the show. Yeah. So anyways, Chise drops down on the train once they go into the bridge and she's just chilling up there with like a little telescope or whatnot. And this whole time, the Lord, they're wary of some assassin that's trying to take him out. He's very famous. Uh but once she say dropped on top of the train, Angie immediately knows that there was somebody up there. So she goes up t- top to confront her. And at the same time, Beatrice comes up on the other side and then they have their nice little battle. But it turns out she's actually uh, on their side. Like the Lord's English friend guy, he comes up top. He's like, stop the battle. She's not the assassin. Uh, she ended up coming of her own accord and she's there because she personally basically wants to kill this assassin herself. Mm-hmm. Ainge is totally against Chise company man, but the princess tells her to be buddies anyways. That's what she straight up says. Be friends <laughs> with her anyways. Uh, we oh, that was funny fu- when like Chise looks up buddy in a dictionary. <laughs> She's like, well, buddy, buddy, what is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, they're like doing a patrol. Chise and Ange are doing a patrol together, whatever. And Chise starts talking about herself a little bit. She's like, I'm, a sam- I'm from a samurai clan. Uh, 16 year old she also likes pickles pickle rick okay, watching can rick we and morty can we me. not with the rick and morty season three references when i'm still on season one <laughs> <laughs> that reveals nothing <laughs> i know it does. if i told you why he turned himself into a pickle would hurt <laughs> okay okay <laughs> uh so it so uh it turns out normandy co he was a guy from the earlier episodes that like shot the other guy in the gut and whatever. He is actually helping this assassin named Toto Jubei because he wants the princess to get caught up in the assassination plot. You know, it's not going to look good for her at all if the Lord does get assassinated. Uh, they eventually go to a train station and they stop, you know, they're refueling and doing whatever they need to do. And we see like a man on the platform placing a walking stick leaning against the map and also one of the soldiers on the train seems to have been watching for this and we see him see this uh the stick is placed like perfectly on this railroad map to like basically show a specific uh uh, destination or position and we also find out like chisei's personal vendetta against the guys because he killed her father that's what she says for now we'll go into more of that later but there's also the this little thing that you like to take note of like some like low kid falls yeah. down and scrapes his knee yeah they get up when the train is stopped at the station Chisei is outside and i think she's talking with Ange there right and um she sees this little kid who's like yeah he's crying because he fell down scraped his knee so she goes over to him and like kneels down and like 
taps on his knee three times and says like a little like it's Japanese out. thing like uh, magic magic like fly away or something ow ow fly away owie owie fly away some like cute thing you would say to the kid and the kid gets up and he's like stops crying he's like oh it doesn't hurt anymore and he like runs away I was kind of so she says she goes back to Anne she's, she's like yeah there's like a magic spell my dad or somebody taught me when I was little I think yeah but uh yeah which has nothing to do with now but something to do with later did you think it was really a magical spell or just like a thing that you tell kids no it's a totally a thing I, I've known people actually tell kids that yeah, because I don't think Chise can actually use magic. Like, no, I don't think she actually used magic there. No, all, that's right? not what she was doing the whole time. No, not at yeah. all. Okay. So, yeah. anyway, that'll come back later in the episode. Yeah, so, anyways, they pack up. They're on their way again. And we see that soldier from earlier that knows the guy on the platform placing the walking stick on the map. Leaves his car. And, like, he starts to kneel down and take something out of his boot. But Dorothy was also watching that janitor. Who put the stick over there and she appears pointing a gun at his head uh she basically kicks his butt but then he blows himself up which separates the cars because all the cars in the back of the train actually held all the soldiers so those are separated the other train is moving on ahead and then also they're on double tracks so the tracks besides them another train comes charging up next to them uh so right now, Ainge and Chise were in the back half of the train getting left behind. Uh, the other train begins to assault their train and like it's shooting like hooks and grabbing onto it and holding them so that like if they try to slow down or speed up, it will derail them, which will basically kill everybody for the most part. Mm-hmm. But uh, Ainge uses her sea ball. They started abbreviating it, apparently. Or the subtitles were like, I'm over this. <laughs> Enough with this Cavorite bullshit. <laughs> yeah. The sea ball to catch up. Uh, and she says, like, holding on to her. They, like, jump and move really fast. But but so on. There's a bunch of really pretty neat battles. They're kind of, they're really fun to watch. They're really cool. Lots of explosions. People dying. What So on. But Jubei, the assassin, has made it to the car with the princess and the lord. He, like, immediately just dispatches the other samurai. They, they may, may as well just been standing bamboo sticks to his samurai sword. That's all they were. Yeah. But Ange and T- Chisei have shown up. And Chisei starts doing battle with him while Ange and the princess go ahead to try and stop the trains from colliding. Because the tracks are now going to merge up ahead. Uh, Ange jumps the other train. She's yelling at the princess, you know, pull this lever and I'll do this and this. And they... Like, they barely get them stopped in time. Like, they literally touch and almost push each other off. That's how close they get. Uh, and Chisei does end up killing Jubei. Uh, after the scene, she's standing at a grave, and we find out Jubei was Chisei's father turned traitor. Mm-hmm. Uh and then this is where she does her little magic spell on her heart. And she's like, why doesn't it not work this time? You know, it's just a little, it's very touching. Yeah. She actually said earlier in the episode, like I, like my, he killed my father and my, my tears won't flow until I've like avenged him. And then like, so she kills her own father and like, then she cries as she's at the grave. She's trying to use that magic spell on her heart. And he's she's like, father, why isn't it working? Why isn't it working this time? It's not working to mend her broken heart. So yeah, it's a very touching scene. Yep. Uh, but so on, Chisei stays behind as a transfer student because 
whatever they call their employer struck it as a part of the uh, deal with the uh, Lord guy. So that's the gist of that episode. Yeah, I liked all the uh, like the jumping around and jumping between trains with Ange and Chise. It was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of like bloomer and like underwear shots, like very quick ones, but like a lot of them, like uh, lots of I like. I would even say quick. I mean, there's just like long, yeah. drawn out scenes where like you see Chise's bloomers, but they're bloomers. They're, they're bloomers, but still, it's just like come on. It's like I don't know. It was, it was there was a lot of focus on that because they were all like Ange and Herbert like constantly like flipping around and they were like and the slow motion part of the flips would be like up their skirts every single time. So it was like okay, we get it. We get bow, what you're doing. But uh, otherwise, like I love a good train heist and this one episode is better than the entire show Bacchino. So fight me in real life. <laughs> Bacchino fans. Oh my god. <laughs> Anyway, uh, anything else on this episode? Uh, no, that would be it. All right, so moving on. So for Restaurant to Another World, I accidentally watched episode six this week because I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> so next <laughs> week we'll do episode five. five. Yeah, ne- well, so we don't have a synopsis for episode five. I know Leo watched it, but I didn't. So next week we'll do episodes five and six together. Oh, well, my bad. I went to Crunchyroll and I just watched episode six for whatever reason because it was already out when uh i went to review the show so that was dumb so let's move on to wednesdays you all can right take we away. have soccer quest we are on episode 18 minerva's sake saucer uh do you at any point in this episode do you remember minerva's sake saucer ever coming up uh no they drink like alcohol with the old, the, the elderly people. But yeah, but they specifically anything. ordered a single malt whiskey. Yeah, I don't know. That's I a have really no weird idea question. what this title has anything to. There's nothing Minerva. There's not a saucer. There's they <laughs> maybe drink sake at one point, but they're drinking a bunch of stuff. So who knows? I'll, I'll Google it while you read. All right. So anyways, last time on Soccer Request, the elderly learned of the power of the internet and used that power to take Yoshino hostage and demand they reestablish the bus route out to their little old folks division. And all along, we were afraid of the AI uprising when we really should have been worried about our grandparents. <laughs> That's my Dragon Ball Z. Last time on Dragon Ball Z. So... It turns out Yoshino is a great hostage. She uh, takes the role very seriously and she plays right along along with it. No fuss. Good for her. She makes some tea and even stays of her own accord. The best hostage in the world, right? (laughs) And it's also really funny because the whole time they're streaming this entire counter, which is kind of their big thing because they're getting a bunch of hits and lots of people are watching and being memorable, whatever. They're the top streamers on Twitch. Yeah. I I think it was was YouTube they were doing. (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't video games, but they make a list of demands and Maki shows up with their demands, which was beer, single malt scotch and snacks. And at this point, I was like, I could become really good friends with these old people. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) those are some nice demands I can really get behind. Uh, But they end up asking like Maki to stay and drink with them and she gets hammered and it's it's hilarious. She is so freaking cute when she's like a little bit tipsy. (laughs) Like She's really cute. Oh, yeah. When she goes up there like, oh, it was Detective Odin, (laughs) which is just an ongoing joke at this point. Yeah. Uh, But before uh, Riri goes to leave the next day to go visit the uh, town, her grandmother gives her treats to take to the old people because she... The old man amuses her, basically, is what she says. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
the and the old people have also taken their defection like very seriously. They've erected like a new archway into the little town. It's all it's elaborate. Called, it's called the Republic of Warabia, and it's <laughs> home of the Warabi Olympics, right, Leo? <laughs> <laughs> of a show you hated, you would make a reference, and I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, that's an Arm Girls Machiavellian uh, reference for the three people who watched it. <laughs> uh, so and. Uh, Sane kind of has a one-on-one with the old man who's making all this fuss because he knows the village will eventually disappear and he wants to basically make it memorable and he's basically doing it now in like digital memories and he knows the town's going to disappear and just wants to get it done uh, Taki, Taka Mizawa the bus driver he ends up having a conversation later with Yoshino where she finds out he has even he was even affected by seeing this small town disappear over time. He has a pretty good speech about like, you know, I saw a flor- florist shop go one day. Next week, I saw a different ne- different shop go. And he's slowly seen this town break down in front of his own eyes. And it's kind of affected him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but he gets up from her and he gets on the bus to uh, take Sane back. And they both come to like an agreement on doing something to help the old people. They didn't say right away. But then they go on. The idea they came up with was the Mayonami bus on demand, which is a basically it. little van, and it's Uber. It nailed it. Basically, and yeah, you called it. It's Uber. It's basically Uber. But I just want to call something out. If he's yeah. the driver, when does he drive? Who's driving the bus? What is going on? So with this? I, I was confused with that too. So I went back and watched the episode, and it's not really clear. But basically, what they did is they just replaced the entire bus route with this on-demand bus because he's he's basically like nobody ever rides the bus any any anyway in this town. Like it's almost always empty. So it presents some other problems now because like. They're basically the solution to this is that everybody's going to use this on-demand bus. But that means that like everybody in the town is going to have to have like a tablet or a phone or something. To oh, wait, that they didn't say they were totally not doing the bus routes anymore, though. They did. They did. Yeah, it replaces the bus route completely. This oh, bus. Oh, yeah, yeah. So now everybody, you're right, has to have access to internet and being able to. Yeah. Yeah. Request a pickup. I was actually thinking about this in depth because like people who come visit the town also will need to be made aware of this. Like there needs they'll need to be like boards at like former bus stops that say like you need to use like this app to call the bus. But, like that's really kind uh, of yeah, rough. I'm getting ready to say you have a whole nother thing of problems at this point. Yeah, but the thing is it's like a very small rural town. Like this model probably makes way more sense and is way saves a lot of money for the bus company too, for like fuel expenses and all this stuff. So Yeah, but there were tourist town yeah that's the thing like i don't i don't know about this like i mean you could argue that like maybe the tourists don't usually want to go out like way into the countryside so they'll be fine in like the middle of the town like near the train station yeah but they want to get from one side of mayonama to the other or whatever yeah i don't know they'll have to figure that out yeah like there are definitely issues here. Like you might need more than one of these buses as well, but apparently this is their the solution they've gone with. So All right. I don't think it's a perfect solution either, but it is no. better than just the former, the former way. Uh, but anyways, since now the old people have gotten their transportation back, the old man tells the girls they have passed this test. And then the show ends with the old man collapsing and passing away very suddenly. Why are you laughing? Because <laughs> it was just, it's absurd. It was just it was really shocking. Yeah. Yeah. He's like he's like, there, he's like <laughs> drinking his whiskey 
He's yeah, like, he's where like, was the, oh, where was that ice again? And he's, like, like, he's like, I think yeah. I have some ice cubes. And he gets up and then you just hear like a thud and you're like, what? And then it does give you the shot of him like collapsing in the doorway. And then they immediately cut to like Yoshino the getting funeral. a call. Yeah. And then they oh, the cut, call. Yeah. Yeah. And then they cut again to everybody at the funeral. And it's just like, what? Mm-hmm. But I liked uh, <laughs> one of the people was like, I couldn't even understand your, uh, uh, oh God, what is it called? When you. Oh my god! Oh, the when they gave the whoever gave the speech. Oh my god! I can't believe I'm forgetting this word. Yeah, when you when the person who speaks your eulogy, I couldn't even understand your eulogy, and he's like, "Well, the paper was it was really dark in there, and I couldn't read the paper." I was like, <laughs> "Oh man, these people." <laughs> yeah, but also at the same time, there was a message left on the message boards that one of the treasures was in Sugi Sugita's storehouse. Uh, they do find out that the old man was Sugita. And he was probably the one who put that message up there, but they can't figure it out. And so they check his storeroom and they find the dragon staff, which we already knew was in there. So, yep. Oh, and anything else you want to add? Uh, I just thought it was a really good episode. Um, like like this, these are the kind of episodes I like, I like Sakura Quest for because it like really explores an idea that's like a problem in current, like modern Japan, like rural Japan Mm -hmm. and how to potentially solve it. And, uh, I don't know. Like I thought it was really good. And I just liked this whole arc with like the old people, like using the power of the internet, like you say, (laughs) to like take Yoshino hostage and. Yoshino is funny. She's like Yoshino is a hostage, just like how in Little Witch Academia, uh, like oh god, the main girl in Little Witch Academia was taken hostage, quote unquote, like by the uh, like the union workers at the school. Oh, <laughs> and she Akko? was like pick yeah, Akko was like picketing picketing with them basically. So it was kind of like that with Yoshino. Yeah, a little bit, funny. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, but it was right. pretty funny. Yeah. So, Thursdays. Yep, Thursdays. We have Gamers, Episode 4, Karen, Tendo, and Slump Days. I would just like to note we completely skip over what happens at the end of Episode 3. This is like a filler episode, almost. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, No, it's like, seriously, because in like the, at the end of Episode 3, when they show, you know, what's going to happen in the next episode, they skip, they pick up from Episode 3. Yeah, they they yeah they ignore like all of the freaking romantic like gibberish and like confusion at the end of episode three for sure. Yeah, yeah. So just as I said, it's Karen Tindo and Slump Days, and it's just for the most part her everyday life. Uh, she's a model student, so she begins her days early with a jog, and we also get to see the general outlay of her usual school day. But after she meets Amano, her days suddenly start to become derailed. She, like, first wakes up embarrassed about having lewd dreams about him. It wrecks her morning. She she accidentally sleeps in because of it. She goes to leave and still has, like, her pajama pants on under her skirt. It's hilarious. Uh, the best part is that, like, in the first version of her days, like, the music is all nice. And in the second version, it's, like, distorted and, like, really bad. <laughs> because her life is just like a mess yeah but it basically what the point is she's super love struck and it's just wrecking her days because she cannot stop thinking about Amano like this is obsessive she needs to go seek air therapy man it's bad but like even at the end of the day when she makes it to the club she can't even focus on the games she's like absolutely terrible at them and then later that night she tries to go to sleep that night and she can't because she gets too excited to think about Amano and like 
out of this whole thing, what concerns her the most is it's affecting her gaming. <laughs> making her a terrible gamer. Yes. Ah, but over the weekend, she like runs into a mono on the street uh, who was kicked out of his house by his mom for gaming all day. <laughs> Relatable. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, she ends up making him accompany her since they are both awkward as fuck. It's really <laughs> weird. Uh, they go to the to a game store in the arcade or whatever. And oh, wait, no. First, they went to a game store and they're like looking at games. And he's like, oh, I don't know if I want this or not because it's like a lewd game. And she's like excited he was going to buy it. It's wacko wacko thing that happens mm-hmm. then they end up in an arcade uh where karen challenges a mono uh they have to Um, they each have 30 minutes to see who can collect the most coins. Uh, Karen just completely crushes him, but is not satisfied with her win because the mono didn't seem to take it seriously at all. He ends up borrowing a coin she dropped from her and bets it on a horse racing game for the max horse if he wins. Uh, his horse comes completely in last. And that's about it for the last of that episode. Yeah, so like these uh, horse racing and metal games are totally real in Japan too. Like in the arcades, you go up to like the fourth or fifth floor or whatever and it's just like you just walk up there it's like a wall of smoke as like these old guys are just sitting at like these horse racing games like gambling with each other forever it's so weird um and like the metal games too are just kind of like you know you know like slot machines here similar similar to that anyway so it's like you see the same people just sitting and smoking at those machines for like hours it's ridiculous i'm still uh, jealous you got to experience that and i didn't yeah yeah so part of this episode i didn't really get was like at first anyway was like kate is talking about he was like or amano whatever he's he keeps talking about how like no winning is really important to me and she's like rightfully like really confused by this because the whole reason he didn't join her club is because like he didn't want to be forced to have like an attitude where winning is important but he does like winning so i was like trying to understand him just like she was i was like right there with karen as she was trying to understand him so basically like he cares about winning because it's like a core tenant of beating games okay but he just doesn't have the guts for high level competition i yeah. Since we know my thing is comparisons, I will give you a comparison. Okay. Let's think about our good friend Nikita Dostoevsky, who drinks the vodka for breakfast. <laughs> he loves to game. He <laughs> will raid with us once, and that's the end of it. Because he doesn't like the competition. But he plays Xbox more than I do. Yeah. Like, he yeah. loves to game. He doesn't like the serious competitive stuff. He never yeah, plays so. Crucible and Destiny. He will, but he will. Lo- he he will sit in and play strikes with you all evening. Yeah, but I mean, Karen is get gets even more like confused because like when they play each other in a game, like he wants to beat her, and it's like, wait, what? <laughs> this is like, yeah, it's just like it's very confusing for her because like I guess for her she wants to always be competing and he wants to do it like maybe every once in a while, very yeah. casually, essentially. Is like yeah. So that's where he's coming from, which I understand, but it was confusing. (laughs) It's, it's, 
I, I don't think it's confusing. I think you are supposed to try to uh, sit there and try to figure it out on your own. Mm-hmm. And it just slowly gives you the answers if you're not actually figuring it out on yourself. Yeah, but exactly. It makes sense to me. All right. So, you anything else for gamers? Uh, no, let's move on to the next one. All right. Convenience store store boyfriends. Episode 5, August. My birth month. Yeah, <laughs> Leo's. Go figure. So, Mihashi wants to thank Honda for his help in the three-legged race and ask him what he would like. He decides on he wants to go on a date. She immediately refuses, but only agrees in the end if uh, Misha, Mishima and Mashiki go also. Man, we're back with the Mies and the Maz. These names are horrible. God, <laughs> why did they have to name them all the same? It's just a nightmare. But yeah. uh, <laughs> So th- their date consists of in- ending up going to one of the school's track events which is cool and what not. And there's this little scene where Becom has decided that this is his favorite romantic, uh, quote, hat scene that he's ever seen in all time. And Becom, th- decide this for us. Dude, it was, so I was being sarcastic, first of all. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> were, but. Yeah, like the her hat, like what's her name? Mihashi's hat like flies off of her head as they're like walking down the stands at this like, where are they? Are they course racing? I don't even know where, know where they were. I forget. They were at the track event. Oh, they were at the track event. Yeah, sorry. I don't remember. Um, so, like, he's sitting in the stands and, like, he, like, Honda runs over and, like, picks up her hat and she comes and she holds out her hand to get the hat from him, but instead he puts it on her head. Ooh. <laughs> like, they, like, they linger on the shot for so long. It's so, it's just really funny. You and, like, see, the funny thing is, him, like, you see the shot of her hand out yeah. and you see. His hands on the hat, and there looks like it's going to the hands, but then it just passes the hands and puts it on her head, and yeah. she blushes. And but like also the hat is like way too low on her forehead too. It's just like she could she wouldn't be able to see anything with the hat where the way it was. It was really bad. Anyway, Honda just did a bad job putting it on her head, man. Come on. Yeah, he's really happy about it though. So, anyways, uh, they leave and whatnot, all four of them, and, like, Honda's like, all right, are you guys taking the bus or the train home? And Mihashi's like, oh, I'm taking the bus, and and he asked uh, uh, Mashiki, well, she's going she's gonna to take the bus also, and he's like, all right, well, let's walk you guys to the bus, and then, like, Mihashi's like, no, I don't want to walk to the bus, and, like, runs off. Uh, yeah, which is, she's super shy. She doesn't understand her own feelings, basically. Um... But the girls do end up back up at uh, Mishiki's house and they literally have a little teary party. <laughs> and during this tea party, Mihashi like basically talks about her feelings and she's like, why would anybody like that goober Honda? You know, but I just want to say I was extremely frustrated with her this entire episode because like I, I whatever. just And on. you should be because that's real life. No, this is beyond real life. She's no, just like, she like has no idea what she wants whatsoever. Exactly. It's so real. It's crazy. <laughs> okay. So like you feeling frustrated is exactly what they want their audience to feel. So they delivered and yes, you fell under their spell like you were supposed to. So exactly. Does but, that make it a good show? <laughs> uh, it's. No, but it makes it, you have to agree, it's executed very well, if that's what their goal was. Uh, 
if they want yes if the the goal was to make me frustrated and then have me continue to be frustrated even <laughs> after the end of the episode then yes they succeeded you know and i really wasn't frustrated with how our reactions were but yeah. we'll get more than that later uh honda wakes up the next day to find like his mother home finally and this is kind of answers our questions earlier why he's always sleeping over at uh, uh mishima's house and it's Apparently just because she works a lot and then when she works, she has to go away. And even though she's home now, she's like, I'm going to be leaving shortly. Like he doesn't even start to eat his breakfast and she's already left again. (laughs) And we also kind of find out he doesn't like his stepfather too much. We don't get any reasons. He just doesn't. Might be part of why he's constantly sleeping over at his friend's house. Yeah. Uh, he does end up getting a group text about going to see like the fireworks this weekend and responds, but we don't see what he said just yet. Okay, next scene of Mihashi in an old Japanese style home. And you got that too. I thought maybe kind of shrine, but it's definitely old Japanese style home, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah. And it looks like her parents are fairly wealthy. It's a very big place, it looks like. It was a big house, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, she's going to call from Honda. And Honda is just asking her if she would like to go see the fireworks tomorrow. And during this conversation, Honda admits he's he's like, I just want to see you. And her only yeah. reply is, you know, I'm busy all weekend. I can't do this. Yeah, this is where I started to get really frustrated. Because if I was a guy and a girl said, sorry, I'm busy like the entire break. There is literally no time I can see you. At that point, I'd be like, okay, she really doesn't want to. She's really not interested. Yeah, like, I would have gotten that also. I would have been like, all right, she's not interested at all. It's time just to cut my losses now and either play video games all weekend myself or go, Yeah, I don't know, talk to a different girl or something like that. To but, be fair, I think he, that's kind of how he reacts until he talks to the next girl. Yeah, yeah, but there's also like other odd things that happened earlier on, which would still kind of keep you on there. It's it was even up to this point where we finally got confirmation that her parents are looks like they're putting a lot of pressure on her to like be good at school, be very productive or whatever that she has outside pressures pressuring her like her decisions that she's making are not her own decisions. So I I can forgive this whole scene for that because Honda, he seems pretty he, he, he likes to be a goofball, but he's an intelligent guy. I think he's picked up on it, but he's not too sure until, like we just said, uh, the next day. But also, just before we go to the next day, uh, she almost asks her father if she can do something tomorrow, but then, like, basically chickens out at the end. Yeah. And then also, we see Honda finally reply to that group chat, and he's like, yeah, I'll go. And he's going to go with everybody else to go see the, see the fireworks or whatever. But uh, Honda, after practice the next day, sees Mashiki at the convenience store. And he ends up buying her a popsicle so they can sit down and have a little check. Uh, the talk boils down to Honda thinking Mihashi hates him. And Mashiki basically does her best to encourage him and uses the analogy of a uh, <laughs> shoujo manga. I don't think it was even an analogy, though. I think she was saying, like, she reads a lot of shoujo manga, and in the manga she reads, the girl tells the boy that, like, she hates them. I don't think she said she reads a lot, even though they had a scene where, like, she's looking Mm. at that manga. That's what I thought that that was about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think the show outright says it, but it makes you want to think it. 
Yeah. She's I like, she doesn't know how to get over herself basically. And just ask yeah. you out. Yeah. Which basically means she's like, I hate you. And the guy's supposed to be like, it's okay because I love you. And yeah. That's it. But it's weird. It's just weird to me because the only things that uh, Mihashi ever says to Honda are you're bothering me and I don't like you. Like, that's the only thing she ever says. (laughs) Like, it's really fucking annoying. I think that's not a romance. It's like you're bothering me. I don't like language says totally the opposite, which is why it's really engaging for me. Because I'm it's watching, really and I'm, strange she's me. saying one thing, but she's reacting the total opposite way. So I'm just like, oh, yeah. I just think this could lead to some like really rapey behavior. <laughs> if like, no, your body is saying yes, even though your mouth is saying no. Uh, yes, yeah, so you could go there, but you can <laughs> you can easily not cross that line at the same time. That's true. <laughs> so, um. Yeah, so he talks to her, and after they're done with their conversation, he basically runs off to her house, and she's left her house and gone a street or two, and they run into each other. And they kind of go on to a walk, and they're starting to express their feelings when, like, a group of girls walks by, but then they notice Honda, and apparently they're old acquaintances and whatever, and they're like, oh, please come with us. And Honda's like, no, 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 I can't I can't go with you this evening and whatnot and whatnot. And then... Mishiki ends up like running off and then Honda ditches those girls and immediately chases after and he flat out tells her he likes her and asks what she thinks and then there's this very slow lead up to like them getting closer and closer and then eventually the fireworks go off and it's an extremely quick screenshot and then it just pans up super quick and it looks like I, I immediately thought Honda is kissing Mihashi but he because was. of the angle, it's the back of Mihashi. I mean, sorry, the back of Honda. So, uh, I, I don't no, know they, if they we're to assume this or not. They definitely kissed, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, I want to go back to, like, just before they kissed for a second, though. So, like, Honda says, like, I like you. Like, and she finally, like, turns around and looks at him. And then he asks her, quote, how about you? Like, do you like me too, is what he's asking. Mm-hmm. And she responds, quote, I don't. And then he says, quote, me either. It was such a weird exchange because she's saying, like, I don't like you. What? No, wait, whoa, he, whoa. I don't remember that at all. That's exactly what happens. She says, he says, I like you. She says, uh, he says, how about you, Mihashi? And she says, I don't. I thought she, she turned the run and like he just grabbed her wrist real quick and she stopped. Yeah, Did this it, happened after that. Yeah. Was I typing? Yeah, you missed. This was like the most confusing part of the episode because I it was so weird. I think what this is supposed to mean when she says, I, she says, I don't like you still. And he says, me either, meaning I think he's saying, saying I don't like myself either. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was such a weird thing. I, and then after that is, is when they kiss. This is something that just doesn't translate well. Yeah, it was either just really badly translated or it was more playing into the idea of like the shoujo manga girl saying the opposite of what she means to the guy she likes. I don't know. It was so weird and so unsatisfying. I mean, to me, if they're going to play into that shoujo manga, I mean, like, that makes sense. Yeah, I guess that if that's what they're doing, then it makes sense. But in, in reality, you don't kiss a girl who just says, I don't like you. Sorry. True. <laughs> like, True. <laughs> like it's so weird. I don't know. Anyway. 
Yeah, but that's uh, that was the end of the episode. Yeah, I thought there were some weird moments with like animation in this episode. Like it was specifically it was specifically like just before the OP, uh, like after the the hat putting on scene, they're all like sitting in the stands, and like the camera looks at each of their faces for like a good five seconds, and like nothing moves. They like maybe blink. And like they don't like really do anything, and I was like, "What? What is the camera it doing?" It felt like right they now? were like setting up the anticipation before uh, the other guy ran, like assuming or something like that. Yeah, it was so weird though. But like, I don't know; it just seemed out of place and kind of like lazy animation. Um, hmm. But I liked uh, I liked Honda's honesty though. Like when he was when she, when he called her on the phone, he was like, "Do you want to go see the fireworks with me?" And she was like no uh i don't want to and he was like how about the next day and how about the day after that and she's like well aren't they not showing fireworks that day and he's like it was just an excuse i just want to see you i thought that was like the most romantic part of i yeah i loved that part i was that he delivered that line i was like oh and i was like did the little arm thing across your chest you're like oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's like you go honda (laughs) yeah good for him for doing that but man i don't know if she's worth it man Man, she's super cute to me. Um, and I, I know she's having issues at home and stuff. And she, I feel like she feels she's so burdened with what her parents expect from her. There's no way she could have a romantic life. So, like, mm. it makes me root for Honda even harder. Yeah. I just want to be like, tear her out of that fucking mindset, you know. Yeah. Show her that you can have a boyfriend. You can have a good time. You don't have to be so serious and feel like you're tied down and separate from the world like you are. So. I also thought, uh, I was going to say also, so like she has like no self-confidence though. Cause like when he's like saying that he likes her, like before he says it, he, she's saying like, how could you like someone like me? I'm not pretty. I'm not like cute. Like those other girls that we just like saw down the street kind of thing. But like, so like he needs to build up her self-confidence clearly because like she has none but i felt like the three-legged race would have done a little bit of that already like because like he showed her that if she actually tries like she can really like do something i believe it did but it's a start and she just kind of had a little relapse since she had to go back home and stuff like that yeah i just don't know why she didn't think he was serious like after the whole three-legged race thing because like he was really serious and committed during that like does do she really think he's gonna tease her if he's just joking for like that long well like, she's who, always been led to believe i'm a, we, i feel like we're assuming from her whole life to think this one way and he yeah. is so like just crushing that down around her that like it is going to take some time to break her from that mold and okay, I, yeah. and not to be cliche but those two i feel like they complete each other because of how the opposite they are he is so carefree and she is so straight and forward i think they yeah. would benefit from each other she would help him be more focused and he would help her let loose a little bit mm-hmm. so i i really think their relationship once they got together and learned each other better would they would both benefit greatly i just hope her uh, her words start matching her actions now because like if she actually does like him, please stop saying like they, they, they you're should, bothering They should me. slowly start. They, yeah. It shouldn't be very abrupt, but they should. She, what would be the big breakaway? She'll say one line and will actually match her actions, and that's when you're <laughs> yeah. like, and that's when you're like, oh shit, we're getting somewhere. 
yeah yeah or just smile a little bit more like have like a f- have fun with like this guy that you like just hold on for a second I'm like she smiles like very rarely but it's like man she looks like she's in like so much pain constantly like god I just feel so bad for her like she's yeah and there's like other pain. earlier scenes in the episodes where she's like talking on the phone to her parents she's like no no, no I'll be home I swear I'll be home I won't yeah. be out much later and like all kinds of stuff like that and that happens again in this episode but that's true yeah yeah all right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You talked me off the ledge with this a little bit. Like I still, I, I still like have major problems with like how this went down, but I, in the end, I'm ex- excited to see like how it moves on now. Yeah. The few dramas I've seen this one, I really like, I just, I think everything they do is convincing. And even if it's not, it's because it makes me think of real life dramas I've had in middle school and high school that still don't make sense to me today of why who said what and why what happened I just don't think it can be completely predictable but if you want to move on we can talk about no I'm sorry we can't we can't talk about Rachel Palmet because it's (laughs) a two week hiatus no (laughs) oh that's too bad Rachel Palmet we miss you so badly my discord nickname right now is Rita is delayed two weeks <laughs> after before then was Rita's best girl <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah which right. which is which was strange we didn't know what the idea what the thing was going on and then I saw a weird article that says something about Olympics I don't understand like why I don't understand what this is about Olympics but then stuff. convenience store boyfriends is off next week also so something is going on we we just need to do a yeah. google search or something I guess yeah, we'll figure it out. So anyway, also on Fridays is Made in Abyss, uh, episode five, Incinerator. Um, this so is the show for the lollies out there. <laughs> is it for the lollies or the lollycons? I don't think it's actually that kind of show. That's that's Angel's three piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, let me uh, take the title. But uh, man, this one, this episode. Whew. I'll talk about well, there was there. just like one scene. Okay, so Rico and Reg, or Reg, sorry, are descending into the second layer of the abyss um, and immediately run into trouble. They like hear cries for help from somebody and they only find that it's this creature called a corpse, corpse weeper. And this creature is like a bird and it's it mimics the cries of its prey in order to lure like rescuers to the slaughter as well. Like so this bird is like eating the intestines of this dead guy and it's mimicking his like like cries for help like before he died. It's pretty help dark. Me. Yeah. Help me. So uh, Rico gets picked up by one of the corpse sweepers and flown away and reg tries to grab her with his extendable arms but gets blocked by like another corpse weaker weeper basically like an entire flock shows up uh and then rico faints because she's ascending really quickly with this bird and when you ascend in the abyss it makes you sick so she's like fainted so she can't help herself and like the corpse weaker is dropping her off and like uh, a bird's nest filled of baby corpse corpse weeper chicks and uh so it looks really bad for her but so Reg has like no choice but to just go all Iron Man on them. So he fires his hand laser, and then like Rico, he, he like he like blows up everything. It's actually got like a really wide, uh, like area of attack. This big beam when he's so far away. Well, yeah. And um, also, he kind of goes in a trance at the same time. Like he's yeah. not aware he can do this. 
Right. It's like kind of like unlocks in his mind or something. It's weird. Like, like an old memory, I think is how they kind of put it as. Yeah. Like he's like having, like he's suddenly drudging up this really old memory of him being able to do this and his body just kind of reacts on its own and he's just there for the ride. Yeah. So uh, the the bird who is carrying Rico drops her and he, uh, Reg's able to catch her with his extendable arm, basically. So then Rico eventually wakes up and she's half naked. And this is because Reg was didn't know what was wrong with her. So he was taking her clothes off to try and see if she had any injuries since she wasn't waking up. Also, her clothes were covered with her own vomit from like being carried up into the abyss. Uh, so she tells him not to be embarrassed and then decides they should name his hand cannon the incinerator. And this whole time she has no shirt on and only her pigtails are. Uh, yeah, but yeah, so her, her hair her is covering chest. her like she gets up and she holds her arms like out. And there's like this like little scene of like her shirtless and like behind her is like all the fire and brimstone from this laser. It's a kind of cool shot. Like, I honestly didn't think this was like that bad of fan service because like, to be honest, like we didn't see anything. Also, her like, I don't know. It's just like she wasn't really like exploited that much in this scene. Like. It's not like he stuck a ruler up her vagina and broke it off inside of her. <laughs> like something she would have done. Like it could be much worse. Yeah, but we never saw that in the first place. <laughs> yeah, thank God. Uh, yeah, this I don't think it's really bad. Actually, that was a hilarious scene. scene with him like on a table and like, but the camera angle so you can't see his ass, but you just see this just ruler like a go down and snap off. <laughs> oh, God, ouch! That would have been really funny. Laughed my ass off, dude. That's something that for some reason that seems like something like. Bake Monogatari would have done like in like a silhouetted scene just like snap just like a really quick shot oh, oh you God. mean you don't brush your sister's teeth also that's Nisei Monogatari but no I, I don't do that unfortunately uh, it's one of the mon- Monogatari's it doesn't fucking matter <laughs> so um, same series uh, Rico reassures him that he should be able to like train to control his beam fire since like the first time he used it in episode one it was like a much smaller blast radius so he should be able to get it under control because he's worried about hitting Rico again like if he ever uses it so after all this commotion Reg finally faints and powers down to recover uh, and apparently like Rico dropped her caving notebook uh, but that's fine because Reg uh, remembers that she wrote something about how his penis looks like a real one. And he hopes that the fucking caving notebook stays hidden forever, basically, because <laughs> there's like all this embarrassing shit about him in there. Um, so Rico makes lunch with the meat of the corpse weeper that Reg killed. And he wonders if it's all right that they're like eating an animal that they just witnessed eating a human. Uh, but Rico reassures him like this is all part of the cycle of life in the abyss. Uh the cave raiders are made stronger because they consume the strength of the animals they defeat who have defeated other cave raiders. So it's like a cycle of life, she believes. So they continue to descend. They run into this like huge cloud of bugs. And then using Reg's extendable arms, they form a bridge in front of this huge waterfall to cross. Um, Rico finds like a ton of like squishy potato relics again. We still don't know what those things are. Um, Eventually, they come to like the inverted forest, which is the it's lowest the squishy area. potato coon they use in Tsukikakure. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> it doesn't look as cute as that one. Yeah, this is this is the world after the end of Tsukikakure, where everything went to shit and something happened to the abyss, and those are just I would the love old that. potato coons. If if this was nearly as good a show as Tsukikakure, I'd be really happy. So. Uh, <laughs> 
debatable. <laughs> yeah, it's very debatable right now. It's not over yet. So eventually, so they come to this inverted forest where, of course, all the trees are inverted. Like even the waterfalls are flowing upward instead of downwards. So that's kind of freaky. And it's also colder because like the trees are blocking the sunlight from being reflected from the surface. Uh, so Reg lends Rico his cape for her to keep warm. Uh, and then he puts his helmet back on and briefly this purple symbol appears on like the glass circular window in his helmet, but it disappears after a few seconds. So that's kind of mysterious. Um, but so while they're th- talking about this, they have to move because they're attacked by things called inbios, which are monkey like creatures that throw lo- rocks at them and chase them out of their territory. So they keep like swinging from tree to tree and like um, Reg basically uses his extendable arms to like swing them like monkeys away and like escape barely. So they continue making their way and they finally come across the Seeker camp, which is this outpost that people built on this level as a gathering point for the raiders who want to go down to lower levels. And at the Seeker camp, this young girl is looking at them through a telescope and asks if she should lower the gondola for these people, but she gets no response from her master, whoever that is. So Rico explains that it's less windy and less dangerous than the abyss when you get further away from the central shaft. So that's why it's like a little bit safer to have the seeker camp out on this like outer part of the abyss. Um, and so like they get to the gondola, they see that they can't it's not lowering so reg like launches his arms up there to try and get it to like make a ladder for them to climb at least um but he immediately feels his arms picked up by somebody who's above and it turns out that like the person there is named ozen the immovable or the unimmovable sovereign and she's a white whistle who was the one who helped liza rico's mother bring her up to the surface and she says, hmm, that brat's still alive, hey? Talking about Rico. So that's interesting. Um, so we'll find out more about her next episode, I assume. But uh, yeah, you thought that Rika wearing a shirt, like not wearing a shirt scene was like pretty unnecessary? Yeah, it's, it was a very drawn out scene too. It was pretty drawn out. And it yeah. wasn't like there was just like one shot. There was just like this shot, that shot, next camera angle, this camera angle, them talking. Now he's talking. Now she's talking. Change the camera angle again. It's just like, put the shirt on already. <laughs> it, was, it was tearing me away from the conversation because I'm just like, no more. Yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah. I don't know. I, so I still think the uh, the background art and stuff in this anime is gorgeous. Like when they were like walking across the bridge and that huge, like in front of that huge waterfall, like it was really cool. I don't know. Like, yeah, I just continue to like just marvel at the look of this show, if nothing else. So, yeah, interested to see as they keep descending what they find down there. And like, I want to know what the deal is with this little girl who lives on like the second layer of the abyss, just looking through a telescope all day. Oh, who is obviously, uh, what's her name's apprentice? Ozen or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Ozen. But All right. Anyways, we can go on. We can go on to 18F, episode five, The Witch of Ordinariness. And she's called this because she wants to be ordinary. Becom, I never you, would have ha- guessed. Yeah. Becom, have you ever thought about chopping off your own leg with a hatchet? Uh, n- Maybe after I watched that James Franco movie where he gets trapped in like the canyon and has to ch- chop off his own arm to escape. 
Oh, I've never seen that, but I don't like know 127 hours or whatever that is. Yeah, yeah, that's a fun movie. <laughs> Take Ooh. your kids to see it. So, anyways, we open with a young girl that is a figure skater has locked herself in a room, getting ready to chop off her leg with a hatchet. That's the intro. <laughs> so I, I I saw this ice skater with like a hatchet. And I was like, oh, this is the Tanya Harding anime story. Do you remember Tanya Harding like in Nancy Kerrigan, the figure skaters? Mm-hmm. This is an old reference, but like basically Tanya Harding had somebody like attack Nancy Kerrigan and like slash her leg or something. So I was like, oh, that's what this is about. <laughs> but no, it was a slightly different story here. No, I see where you're going with it. Yeah, it's figure skaters, hurt legs. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> but anyways, we go on. Harto is having breakfast, breakfast with Katsumi. When he found out the girl's name is Mire Seigusa. And she broke her own leg with a hatchet at the age of 18. Not true. She, uh, Haruto dreamed that's what she did. Uh, but she, as a young age, she was like, went to a skating rink with her grandfather it turns out she was kind of slightly unnatural and she trained for a long time and got really, really, really good. Like crazy good. Like she won like her first like championship at 14 mm-hmm. and got to the point of being coming so famous. She was basically an idol in Japan. She was doing ads for like a chocolate company and stuff like that. Uh, and she was even finally put in the Olympics. That's how good she was. But she went to perform a triple jump and failed. And she ended up taking second place and it was just such a huge burden on her. She, uh, that's when she trapped herself in that room, locking out her management and everything and had a hatchet, was getting ready to chop her leg. And she eventually came down with the sleeping beauty syndrome. Uh, moving forward, Haruto eventually sets out on his way to help the new witch. He, uh, he ends up at a college campus where he runs into her. No, she runs to him and drops her books and he doesn't realize it's her. She's like dressed in regular clothing. She has glasses on. Uh, She's not all dressed up in like her figure skating outfit where she's, you know, very sexualized, lots of makeup and all that fun stuff. She kind of is dressed up like Mihashi from Convenience Store Boyfriends. (laughs) Like long skirt, glasses, long hair. Okay. Uh, But he doesn't realize it's her and he's like, he's running around campus trying to figure out who she is. And he, nobody knows who the hell he's talking about. He eventually goes to like the uh, offices or something. And on the PA system, they announce for her to come up. And she finally comes up and they're like, oh, it's you. Whatever. Holy crap. And they start walking. And he he tells her, he's like, you know, I know you're famous and all this stuff. And like, she tries to run away. She's like, what are you doing here? Why are you in my world? This is my world. And what it boils down to is her big deal is she spent her entire life in the ice rink and missed out on everything growing up. You see flashbacks of like her looking out a window and seeing a bunch of, you seen like a girl and two guys at a convenience store laughing in the rain and missing out on school events and just everything in general, because her whole entire life was practicing ice skating. She never did any clubs, nothing like that. It was just constantly like at one point she said she practiced for 20 hours a day on the weekends. What the fuck? That's insane. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. But then we also get to see the scene of her performing that triple jump again in the Olympics. And when she lands, her skate breaks, which is why she never landed the jump perfectly. Hmm. Uh, 
Yeah, which is interesting. And they show it again later if you didn't catch it now. It's super quick. But but then we also find out she never actually got far enough to break her leg. She basically was sitting on the chair, has her other leg propped up in the chair, is raising the hatchet, and then she, bam, goes into a coma. So she never actually broke her leg. leg. So mm-hmm. back into her dream world. You know, Harto does his best to help her out by experiencing everything a normal person would. She goes to classes, she does the club, she does the karaoke, goes to fast food restaurants, gets to participate in the school festivals, and so on, so on, so on. She eventually goes on a date with a guy named uh, Yuki. Yuki and on ice? Yeah. What? <laughs> Yuki on ice. <laughs> you think this was intentional? No, it was not. No, definitely was not. <laughs> <laughs> so she ends up going on a date with him, and like she's like wants Harto to go on a date with her, and he's like, "No, I'm not going on. I'm not being a third wheel." But he does end up tailing them the whole time, like by wearing sunglasses in a movie is, theater. <laughs> yeah, in a movie theater and all that fun stuff, which is nonsense. But in a crazy twist, at the end, their date ends at an ice rink, which clearly shocks me, Ray. But she's kind of skating around a little bit and she gets lost in the moment and like realizes she really loves ice skating and ends up performing a perfect triple jump. But then suddenly like the world shifts and it takes her back to the Olympics with everybody cheering. She freaks out and yells no and it like shatters the dream entirely. Uh, And then like she has this like little breakdown scene with Haruto there he's like encouraging her and then the guy she was with transforms into Lily yeah so Lily was Yuki the senpai the whole time yeah and the whole lesson we learned was that her destiny is to be on the eyes and fuck her own wishes uh is that what we learned (laughs) that's what I gathered from the end of that because he's guess. like, hey, maybe being on the ice was your destiny. And I'm like, yeah, we kind of figured she loved being on the ice in the first place. But then we're also accepting that she we know she clearly did not like all the coaching, and all the training that came yeah. with the ice skating. So she like, wanted to wh- live her own life for once when she wanted to grow up and have like a childhood. But yeah. Yeah. But then but then in the end, she really should have belonged on the ice. So I guess fuck her wishes so. it. I it's don't a know. weird it message. A, I don't know. Yeah, the weird whole, ass I, message at the end. I didn't. I didn't understand it really. But there's even more weird things at the end because continue to the last part. <laughs> so yeah. So since her spell has not been broken, Mirai wakes up in the real world and she's like a hundred years old. So this is where I got like really confused. <laughs> well, I felt like from the beginning that uh, Katsumi was not letting on that. This was because he immediately went to find out who she was because she was previously an idol. It was very easy to find. He went to the hospital and we didn't get to see her then, but he saw her in the bed. He was just he had that expression like, oh, and I kind of I did. I did see that in your notes, but like I saw that it was like kind of portrayed that like this happened forever ago. Oh really? Okay, that's interesting because so, I, I never like, rewatched it. Like if I would have watched it and found out she's hundred years old and went back and we looked it, rewatched it, you would understand why Katsumi reacted the way he did. Okay. The show didn't do a good way of portraying it because I didn't really pick up on it. You didn't pick up on it, and I only realized it because I knew to kind of keep an eye on it. 
Yeah, my question is like, if she's like, say let's let's say she's like eighty years old, then does their time period take place in like two thousand and eighty? Because she's remembering back, or like two thousand sixty or something. Because she's remembering back until she was like a teenager, ice skating, and like, I don't know, it looked like fairly modern times when she was ice skating. Like, so when does this show take place? I think when that's like, where it wasn't portraying it right. Yeah. That's or, what I'm so unless, not confused about. Yeah, but even when they go back to the real world where she wakes up, it's like a very modern hospital. Yeah, so, that's true. If anything, it made me question how long has Haruto been in these dream worlds and what's his freaking story? You know? And same with... Because Katsumi is like outside the dream world too, right? So, Correct. And we've seen him interact. And it's it, this is today's dream world. He's been to like a bar. He's been walking down the streets. He's now been to a hospital this episode. And that's where this raises a problem because it's like, so if shouldn't, it's he, shouldn't he be in a more modern... Yeah. Six, 60 years, which yeah. would put her closely to 20, just roundabout. Where would that put this? 19... 1960, 1957. So Ooh. like her, her world would have had to be portrayed like a lot differently. I feel like the ice skating world would have had to look different. Yeah, I but, feel like that's um, just more or less a fault on their part. Yeah, I think they could have given us a little bit more of a clue, and it would, this would have been a much more interesting episode. Like, I don't know. Yeah, that was okay. I mean, the ice skating existed back then, but like, I don't know if they had big arenas to ice skate in like big that. Big arenas, yeah, controlled environments with all the lights and stands, no. Yeah, and like, know. she's clearly, when she's in a room, it's a... Uh, it's a completely standardized room. It's got like the fold out chair tables up against the walls and they're yeah. trying to break in and there's like camera flashes and all kinds of crazy stuff. Oh yeah. 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 yeah Cause when know. she failed, there was the camera flashes. So yeah, it's like her dream. Well, we, I guess we could play off her dream world is taking place at the modern times. Okay. Even yeah. though it happened at a different time, but that would, that's, I'm pushing. I'm really pushing shit. Yeah, we're really like reaching. But yeah, so the show just like maybe is not sure of its own like time paradox there. I don't know. (laughs) It's kind of weird. Or it could be some delusion on Haruto. Maybe. I don't know. And yeah, anyway, I just thought it was interesting that Lily like intervened in this dream. It kind of seemed like she was jealous that like Haruto was like interested in this pretty girl. Yeah, I got that also because she was like stalking them and all stuff the whole time. And then so yeah, she chose to get involved like maybe to make this whole process go faster because as as Yuki, she could like tell her exactly what he needed to tell her to like move her along and get her like to confront her actual like dreams and stuff. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's interesting because I, I don't think in any previous episodes that um, Lily has like portrayed another character inside of the dream. No, but I guess oh, she well, can. Also, you just made me think of how accepting Haruto is of this whole situation. Yeah, he like he so totally jumped into this role of helping these witches, and not giving two dams of why he's here mm-hmm. or what his previous life was. Yeah, I think Lily is like some sort of aspect of his imagination as well or his subconscious. Like, I don't think she's unless she's also just a person who died and is trapped in this limbo like 
uh, like Haruto is, which could also be the other option. Right, and we keep bringing up Katsumi's uh, sister, who's still asleep. Yeah, that'll definitely become. So, back. how important is she to this? Is she actually Lily? Lily I feel uh, like that could make a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah. All right. All right. But I think we learned a lot about this show. <laughs> <laughs> it's all speculation, but we yeah, can move on much. to Saturdays. All right. And so for the last show of the week, we've got action heroine cheer fruits. Let's end on a happy note. Uh, this episode five is Project Blue. Uh, so yeah, this time after the OP, the show opens with like a short, like a little disclaimer from like an announcer saying like the cheer fruits are from Hanano, Japan. It's like blah, blah, blah. It was kind of cute. It was like a, like one of these live action shows would have that like little announcer part. So anyway, the girls are like sincerely asking Yuki, the former pop singer to join their group, but she has like this paranoia that, uh, like she, because she's got like basically this trauma from uh like her pop idol training and like so she like hides like her head in like a cat eared hoodie which <laughs> can i stop you here yes i just this i'm not saying this is bad it's just an observation but like i'm sitting here and i'm like how many moe girls can we cram into this show saying i've never seen any idol show this is like my first yeah. slash i was gonna idol. say like i saw that comment written and i was like leo you are aware this is an idol girl show yeah <laughs> like, i've never seen an idol show so like this is my yeah. first idol show so my first thought is just just that just like how many more people can we get here and my second thought is i want a cat hoodie to run in <laughs> yeah the cat hoodie is damn be cute. calm buy me one uh, i don't know if i can afford a cat hoodie i might have to just get you uh I don't know, like a maid outfit. I'll be fine. Maybe with some like... Run, I don't want to run in a maid outfit. I'll get you the cat ear headband to go with it, though. Ah, uh, nah, pass. <laughs> so, Yuki's sister uh, is like... To snap her out of her, like, paranoia, she has this, like, random extendable po- boxing glove that she can, like, use to punch people with. So she just randomly takes that out and, like, punches her sister in the stomach and she snaps out of it. Um... So, but yeah, so Yuki like refuses their offer at first and she goes for a run around the town in her cat hoodie. Uh, and the locals are actually being like really nice to her. They're like, hey, Yuki, how you're doing and stuff. And like, but she sees like a poster of her like self as an idol and she gets like really embarrassed. And like, she has this like paranoia disorder that like makes her view like everything they're saying in this like evil light. And she thinks that Negative. they're being, yeah, they're being like mean and resentful to her when they're really not. But uh, we move on from that. And then there's like a little filler scene where An is opening like these boxes of like Kami Dayo. I think they're sausages. And she finds a super rare Kami Dayo card in the box. And she's like super happy. But like not to be outdone, her rival Muramura buys like a hundred of these boxes and just tears open all of them. I uh, just want to say <laughs> this is microtransactions personified <laughs> because yes, really she gets is. nothing but absolute shit from them. <laughs> yeah, these these drop rates great. are fucking terrible <laughs> for super rare cards. She doesn't get a single one, even though she she bought like a hundred of these things. And they're like, well, it serves you right for paying for the microtransactions. Uh, so anyway, Genki is kind of like really harsh on her sister when she's not there and she tells the group that like hey if she's not going to be useful to us then there's no point in us like wasting time on her uh but on proposes that like well at times like this we need like special hero training 
and they're like okay yeah you and muramura can like take some singing training because your voices are terrible (laughs) um and so back at home Genki goes to her sister and like leaves a little like parfait thing inside her door and then like sits outside the bedroom door and they have like a conversation and she's basically like remember when you brought me this while I was in the hospital like this delicious parfait thing and uh, I, before you move on yeah uh, what's interesting about this parfait it's very very fruity there's lots of fruits in there yeah and actually going on a tangent in old days uh I mean, like old days, I mean, like way, way back. Fruit was initially a dessert. Yeah. So it's really weird. So to me, it was really, uh, it really stood out to me as this little parfait as being, you know, like a little dollop of whipped cream and a bunch of fruit as a dessert. Yeah, it is a dessert. Definitely. So it was a, it just, I don't know. It was just interesting to me because I hate fruit. I guess. Yeah, maybe. if you if you see like in the cafes in Japan, they have parfaits like this. Like they have like you know like typical chocolate sundaes too, but they definitely have these like lighter fruit parfaits as like little treats and stuff all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. Um. Like yeah. So this hospital scene must have taken place when Genki became paralyzed because there's actually a short scene in the beginning of this episode where there's a flashback to where Genki and Yuki are kids and they're both walking around and like doing dance practice together. So Genki was not always in the wheelchair. She wasn't like born in a wheelchair. Something happened that put her in a wheelchair, which we don't know about yet still. Well, but, when she delivered the parfait, you also see the scene where she went up the stairs with a cane. Like she can walk. Yeah. It's just difficult. Yeah, she can walk just like she has some kind of debilitating issue with her legs or something. Yeah. So uh, she says like she knows that like Yuki is still like carrying on with her same like idle like workout routine and everything that she was doing in Tokyo. And she's saying like you should just like join the group or something or like do do something with us. Don't like you still want to be an idol. Do you regret like quitting and. Yuki won't really say anything and Genki guesses correctly that like did the idol producers ask you to like talk about me on like a talk show or something and there's a flashback and like the shitty idol producer tells Yuki like you didn't talk about your paralyzed sister like we told you to on the talk show today and that was your last straw because that was the only way that viewers would identify with you so like Yuki got really upset about this obviously and quit um so anyway, Genki's like, well, why don't you just like maybe guide the group as a coach for like a little bit? Like, since we're all amateurs, maybe you could just help us like give us some advice. So the next day at practice, she does show up and like she starts giving them like some dancing tips and she tells them like, hey, your choreography is like way too complicated. Uh, not only because like you're not like advanced dancers, but because like simpler dance moves are catchier and more likely to be like enjoyed and like shared on social media so people can do them. So it actually like works out in a lot of ways. And she also suggests that they should use their own original song instead of the cover of another song if they can. And luckily, Genki still has this song on her laptop that she and Yuki wrote when they were younger together. So when she hears that, like one of the girls is like, well, we're going to have to do like all new choreography, though. And Yuki's like, she takes her cat eared hoodie off, throws it on the ground, it stomps on it. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> she says that, like, okay, fine, I'll do all the choreography. Uh, let me do it. And so she joins the group as a full member, basically. 
And in their next performance, her name is Sign Blue. She's the fourth Cheer Fruits, war- Fruits Warrior, like the blue one. And her character is canonically from Mexico <laughs> and wears a sombrero. I was like, okay, that's an interesting idea for a character. Uh, and then so, yeah, we see their performance and it is very barely animated, uh, which was disappointing. Uh, like you, like, there was a lot of just still shots of the girls on stage, and like a couple shots of them up close moving, but very few. Yeah, was, this was one of my yeah. notes. I was like, I guess it's too much to animate their performances now, since they're not doing like what would be considered legit uh, performances in that world. Yeah, like if you compared this to something like Idol Master and their performances, this was like really bad. Even like Love Live, uh, it's like. This does not look good compared to those. Yeah, um, just them in like different poses, just like a still frame, just holding it, and you're just like, okay, <laughs> yeah. So we uh, we hear their performance, and by the way, the pink haired girl is in the crowd again as their biggest fan, uh, cheering them on. And then She's like at the orgasming end, all over the place. <laughs> well, yeah, because at the end of the episode, she. We see her, like, after the credits, I think. She's looking at a picture of Misaki on her phone that she took at the concert, and she says, My sunshine, please let me be of service to you, too. So she clearly has a crush on Misaki, and I think she's obviously clearly hoping to join the group next time as well. And the the preview for the next episode kind of confirms that. And... I have to say I'm worried about this character. I think she's going to be super annoying, but I hope she's better oh, yeah. than she looks. You think she's going to be a Beatrice from Princess yes. Principle? She's got that high voice and she looks like she's there for like like Yuri shipping fan service as well. Ooh. So uh, I hope it doesn't turn out to be terrible, but uh, I will say this show like puts a smile on my, my face. Like I just feel happy after watching it. So it's doing okay so far. Uh, a couple agree. problems. I enjoy. It. Yeah, I enjoy watching it. All but, right, is uh, that it for this week? Yes, that's it for this week. So, uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Remember to like, follow, and subscribe to us on YouTube to get updates on new podcasts or videos, and follow us on Twitter at Nerdum and Other for updates as well. See everybody later. And maybe next week we'll watch the right episodes. <laughs> yeah. Peace. Peace.